This episode contains material of a highly sensitive nature, including suicide. It may be triggering for some individuals. Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I am your host, Kyle Devitt, across the table. My man, you got a birthday. You're a year older. I Jack am. Jack Piatelli. I am. I am. I am. It's hard to believe. You don't want but... to say the number, do you? <laughs> no, but uh, I'm just still very happy to be here. Thank you. And uh, always yes. honored to be especially here with you working. Yes. Uh, but uh, you sent me a nice text on my birthday, and um, that meant a lot to me that you care about me. And uh, you you were very happy um, I turned the age that I did. Yes, yes. <laughs> because I'm a lot older than you are. <laughs> I believe I said something like, happy birthday, you get older, I stayed the same age. It's great. You yes, know? that was wonderful. Yeah, one one step closer to Social Security, man, man. I'm, I'm happy for you. Yeah, a few more years. I really uh, want to get there. Yeah, I want to get there. I'll, I'll let you know how it is when I get there. Hopefully, I get there as well. Yeah. All right. All right. We should introduce our guests. They are Quentin Champagne and Mark Champagne. Tell us a little bit about why you're here, what you do with your podcast, and how it relates to lacrosse. Well, thank you for having us. We're good friends with Jack Piatelli. He's had a very nice positive impact on our life, so we like circling back to be involved in something that he is passionate about. We've had a podcast and a website for a while. It's called The Uncomfortable Silence, and it's the story of my wife and Quentin's mom passing at the young age of 53 after dealing with dementia for 10 years and some of the trials and tribulations we went through and coming out on the other side of it. And we're happy to be here to relate to the value of sports, which played a huge role in had a lot of really positive people in our life. And um, Quentin has his view as a young man, and mine's obviously different as being the caretaker and, and dad and husband. And Quentin, um, I've learned a lot from him as he's been strong enough to share his part of that experience. Yeah, I played for Coach Piatelli's club growing up, and Coach's uh, kids, John and Brian, were actually my babysitters growing up, which is pretty funny. But, yeah, I've, I love Coach Piatelli. He's always been really good to me. I've run clinics for what were the clinics that we did for little kids called scoops scoops yeah we did scoops together for the little kids and uh, yeah we do a podcast and i'm trying to start speaking to as many kids and teams as i can about i attempted suicide when i was 15 years old and tried to end my life and we had a lot of stuff going on in the home and i want to help any kids that age that might be feeling that way or have challenges going on because it's such a big problem in, in the country right now yeah, I just want to say that Mark Champagne was a was actually a coach as well for for me and and Mark's very well known and respected in the basketball arena. Mark has coached at the college level, high school level for many many years, and he also does a lot of speaking as well. I know you have a relationship with Pete Carroll with Seattle, yeah. and he's gone out and spoke to the the teams about the experience they're having. Take advantage of what you have, and I used to reach out to Mark too. During my club years when he was coaching, he was a great, not only a friend, an ally, but someone I could talk to about difficult situations that I was in. And he was a great mentor to me. And obviously, getting to know Quentin, Quentin was a very good, ended up being a very good defenseman. Like all players, he started a certain skill level and very athletic kid, great kid to coach, a lot of fun to have on the team, great teammate. But he's a very good basketball player. Went to Bridge, Bridge, Bridgewater State. And actually started and, and did a nice job there. But so we were talking and I've listened to their podcast 
Mental health is obviously a big issue in America, probably more so now with the pandemics that we had, the situation, and just wanted to bring them in and and have an opportunity to talk about your experience. How difficult, Quentin, was it for you to lose your mom at a young age? I know you actually, knowing you and knowing the time that you went through, to see her decline and decline and then lose her. Just talk a little bit about your experience and what that was like and and how you were able to overcome your mother's loss. Yeah, so when I was when I was 15, we started noticing well, probably 14, 15 started noticing an obvious cognitive decline of she started when I'd go to club practice, maybe she wasn't there to pick me up or she would forget dates or birthdays, stuff like that, so that we knew something was going on and as I got older, obviously, I went downhill to the point where she couldn't walk, couldn't take care of herself, she would have bad hallucinations and so all this was it was tough to deal with at home but it was tougher to to go to school every day to go to practice every day and to do that with a with a brave face it was tougher to do that with everything that was going on at home we call it the invisible backpack of everyday kids come into practice and go to school with they're carrying emotions and stuff that you might not even know about but everybody has it so it was very difficult for me to go through daily life and then go home and deal with it so i started i fell into a trap of i'd go home and i'd i'd sleep a lot or i'd take naps because i preferred being asleep instead of dealing with my problems and i think that's a big problem that a lot of people have is you don't want to face the challenge in front of you you kind of want to avoid it so at a young age i became pretty unhealthy i stopped taking care of my health just because I had so much other stuff going on. I kind of lost focus on fitness and I started eating whatever was in front of me. And so all this was bad for my mental well-being. And then I fell into being depressed, which led to other challenges that come with it. But the the process of losing my mother and losing my parent, just watching her kind of break down and watching just a value of life. There really was no value of life at the end of it. It was really tough to watch such a beautiful, smart, and you knew my mom. She was very articulate, and she's just someone who always was smiling and didn't want to do anything except bring joy to other people. It was very difficult to watch someone like that in so much pain at the end of their life. Yeah, Coach, how difficult was it for you, and how did you manage your wife Cindy's situation and you own your own business, you own your own painting business, so you you, you got to pay the bills too. Yeah. So managing Cindy's situation and obviously making sure your son was okay. Well, I didn't manage it well at all times, that's for sure. You think as a guy and a man and you brought up, suck it up, and some of these sports lessons come up too in the same way, but get the job done and you go out, you try to put your head down going to work, but then you run in home. We had a great guy in town that would make meals and we'd pay him and he'd make meals ahead of time. I'd bring it home. I'd come back a few hours later. She'd have put it on five plates for the five people that weren't there, but she was hallucinating and thinking they were there. And Quentin and I, um, when I wasn't paying attention as much as I should have, just because I was telling myself to suck it up, that was very unfair for a young man to do. And he was really hurting with it. And I think with Cindy, she was always so sweet. And once we learned, or I learned first, to not be combative and trying to, instead of taking issue with what she was doing, more realizing, once I realized she was sick, things got a lot better as far as me handling it. Quentin and I were able to talk more. My example at home was better. 
which is the strongest thing with your kids. I think it was very bad early on, arguing about stuff that I didn't know at the time. She had three strains of Lyme disease, so I didn't know what was causing it. Neither did the doctor know what was causing really the decline. But it went pretty quick. I mean, I got to say, Jack, I always remember, and I've said this to him several times, but you know, we all look at coaches a certain way and we think of the game first and playing time. But Jack actually, I had stopped coaching with the group because I didn't know as much as my son's group knew. And it was time to step aside. I never showed up at practice with a stick coach because I would embarrass myself. But, um, you know, we had, Jack walked her over at UMass. We were at a tournament. She had wandered off. And this was when we were realizing how much she was struggling. And I always appreciate that with Jack. But I, I, Jack and I aren't lacrosse friends first. His three kids all worked for me a little bit off and on. Like Quinton said, they babysat for us. There was so much respect on my end for Jack and the challenges he was facing. That coaching was the secondary thing that we used to share conversations on. I think, I think even with Cindy, I knew I could have that conversation with you. But when Quinton tried to take his life and walking in on him in the kitchen when he had a knife and trying to put it into his stomach. That was when I had to learn that the game day phase wasn't getting it done. There was something real here. And I think as negative as that situation was and could have been, that was a real wake-up call for me and to turn everything into gratitude instead of bitching and moaning about the challenge we had at home. Did you know when... Cindy was declining that your son was challenged? As time went on, because then Quentin and I were actually trying to find, I can remember a time we were sitting in the living room and Cindy was in the corner talking to the furniture. And we actually found the humor in it. And But I was blind to how much he was hurting with it. I don't think he was at that age able to express it. And it was very shaming on not being able to to realize how much your son was hurting at this time when maybe you were putting yourself in front of him and your wife. So I I actually took a coaching job. I stopped coaching so I could be home. Then the local job opened up, and I selfishly took it. And that was a big lesson, too. I wasn't where I should have been. And I learned a lot from Quentin. We actually started talking freely about it. Quentin, what got you to the point that you wanted to take your own life? Like... What was the buildup? And like mentally, where, where were you? I mean, it's very difficult for, I think, most people to say, I want to take my own life. So was it early on that you felt this way or was it just a continual buildup? And what was wrong in your life that you wanted to take your own life? Yeah, right. So do, most people don't just start with getting those types of thoughts. It's not just like a random thing. But for me, it was one, I was young. I, I didn't really know what I know now, which is that just comes with it with anything. But yeah, I would I was having a tough time at, at the school I was at, and even just some like friendships. But I gained a lot of weight, so I would go to school, and something as simple as like a friend picking on my weight or something, it would really bother me. And so I started to get just really angry with everything. I was getting angry that my mom was sick, and I was getting angry at, that my friends were treating me this way, and. I would go home and then I was angry that my body looked a certain way. And so I was just getting a lot of anger and I fell into that depression. And the thing about depression and the suicidal thoughts thing, it's not that you don't like want to live anymore. It's that you don't want to feel that 
that pain that your brain is in. So I was just in a lot of my brain. It was in a lot of pain. And over time, slowly, I, I just the thoughts started to creep in. And that's one of the things I, I talk about now is that depression, you can't you can't control if you're in circumstances that can be very challenging, but you can't control your reactions to those. And your reactions to the circumstances you're in usually end up with how you feel. So I, I reacted very poorly to the challenge we were faced with of my mother being sick. I would go home and I would sleep and I would scroll on social media and I wouldn't work out. So that kind of led me to feeling depressed. And then once you're in that depression, it's very hard to get out of it. And the only way I was able to get out of it is by really focusing on taking care of myself. And we changed some things and were able to improve my situation. And now I want to help anybody I can and coaching or whatever. So I think one of the things that this topic brings up with coaches is if you coach long enough, you have an experience with this. And I have, I coached college for 12 years. There was a lot of challenges. I've lost players. And I think one of the hardest things to do is just talk about it. Right. And that's kind of one of the reasons we wanted to have you guys on and get your perspective as well, I think it's kind of a a thing that's a little taboo to talk about, and it shouldn't be anymore. Definitely not anymore. I, I started coaching in the early 2000s, which might as well have been the 90s, as far as how you look at things like this or how it's, how it's treated or even that it's kind of a stigma of sorts. And now I think the good thing about coaching now and coaching my boys, my kids, right? My, I call them my boys and my kids. They're not my kids but they're my boys, right? I remember bringing this up my second year there. This is my, I'm going to my fourth. And uh, I wrote about it in my newsletter and uh, my parents read it and they said, you shouldn't post this because you could get in trouble for saying that you talk to the kids about this. Yep. And I was stunned, right? I was, I'm, I'm stunned by that because I wasn't doing it for me. I wanted to talk about it to put it out there. And I think people were like, oh, well, you're not a mental health professional. You shouldn't talk about all these things. And I, what is your thought on that? Because I thought, uh, I thought it was ridiculous. So you are so right. And you're right. This is the biggest challenge. Now, we're learning. We are learning on the go here. We've contacted schools. We've now learned how schools approach this. It's not getting better. So whatever way they're doing, I'm not blaming anyone. It's not working. It's yeah. not situation is not better. I think what I've learned is you have to take more of a grassroots look at this situation. Uh, everything starts younger than it did. Uh, I'm going to throw Jack's younger than I am, but I'm throwing Jack in my age group. We never talked about these issues, never. And they rarely came up. And maybe even a suicide along the way was hidden from us as to how or what really happened. But the schools, they have all this COVID has a big effect on this. And they pay three five thousand dollars colleges do to have people come in and talk. I'd rather sit with you and hear your story or one of your kids that you coach or Jack tell me about some of the kids and situations he's been in. And if we share those stories, people can relate to those better. And I can't tell you every time I bring up this topic anywhere, and now I'm almost bold about it because I'm getting reinforcement to bring it up every time. I get notes back or someone tells their story. And I've met some wonderful people that are hurting and they just, they don't want to be judged. And that's what, that's what kept me quiet. The macho thing didn't reach out for help. I have great friends. If I had called Jack and asked him for help on something, I know 
I realize now that would have been the right thing to do, and I didn't have the courage or whatever. I didn't do the right thing. And I think I learned a lot, like anything, right? Like in sports, we learned that you can learn more from losing and not getting away than winning, but the culture doesn't want you to feel that now. And yet I learned more from Cindy in her illness about myself and about my son. And I'm very grateful for that as opposed to whining about it. And I think to for you to bring up the topic, I commend you for that. But what the reaction you got from your parents is everywhere now. So we say we want to check the box and deal with this issue. I don't know if we're doing it. How do we not? Because it can't be. It's not something you fix. It's something you address. How can coaches at all levels address that? Is that is that something that you should bring someone in to talk about professionally? Is that something that coaches can read up on and, and figure out and kind of give their own perspective on? Because I feel like that's kind of the barrier, right, is is I don't know how to talk about this, I think, is what everyone thinks. Well, I think you're also worried about what comes out of your mouth and how you're going to be judged by your superiors on it that might mm-hmm. affect your job and something you really enjoy doing. After I say this, Quentin can speak well to the coaches that reacted to his situation and where the angels were and where the other people were that didn't get it, so to speak. But I think I think we just need more conversation on it. I mean, I leave here knowing three people in this room I never met before. And I will pay attention to who they are now, just like when I first, Jack and I talked and I looked up the podcast and I learned about what you guys do. And I think that conversation, you have to be empowered as a coach by the parents to have that conversation because you're supposed to be an extension of them. You're not supposed to be battling them. You're supposed to be, we want to support our parents. We all have the same mission for our kids. I want my son healthy. He came very close to not being here. I'm not going to stay silent on the topic when I know someone else, you might have a situation with your son. I want to be available because I didn't handle my situation right. But Quentin can speak to coaches because he's 20 years old he dealt with it not long ago yeah and i just took a coaching job to coach jv lacrosse now too and part of the reason of doing that is because it's I, the best yeah i hope that i am able to help kids who might be in a situation like that that's challenging but i think the best form of education is experience with it so finding people who have experienced these challenges and now have learned how to deal with them better and that is something that i've been through and learned from and now i hope to share it with everyone i can i don't think the it's very challenging too as men because there's a societal thing where if you're a man you're if you talk about it you're soft or and i don't think that's true i don't think vulnerability makes us soft i think not being able to deal with the challenge is a lot worse than being vulnerable about it but i had coaches i last year i was really struggling during the season and I shared with my whole team. I was like, yeah, I'm just really in a bad place. I've had problems with this. And my teammates were all great. That my teammates all have my back. And my coaches handled it in a really bad way. They they really didn't. I'm not, I'm not sure why or what it was that they really didn't like that I was sharing that I was uh, having trouble dealing with certain stuff going on. So, um, as, like, as coaches now, like, if, if a kid came to me and they were – dealing with something or they had something going, I would just, I would just be there to listen to them. That's the, that's the best thing is I wish I had 
more people, my dad always listened to me, but more people would just listen to me because we're not always looking for advice all the time when we're sharing a challenge. And I think too often that when I share something, the immediate reaction from other people is to just give me advice on what I'm sharing instead of just, oh, that stinks. Now I've, I've been there. That stinks. And sometimes that's all you want to hear when you're struggling. It's like, oh, okay. They, they listen to me. Yeah. And I think that's hard for people to do now though, is to, to listen as something I'm definitely still trying to get better at, but that's definitely, that's probably the biggest problem. He did have a great high school coach on that topic though. So Cindy died Quinton's senior year. And you can tell the story about the Zavarian game, but his coaches and lacrosse coaches were awesome and supportive. It was during COVID, what a tough time to coach. And they were really good with, and I think because the particular man involved, just he understood the challenges. Yeah, Coach Coach Conley from Bridgewater Arenum, uh, he's one of the best people I've ever met. He's got the program going there, and now it's a very good public school, and he, when my mom got put into hospice care, so a email got sent out to the school, like to all my teachers and stuff like, Hey, just so you know that this is going on. And, and uh, coach Conley, just every day at practice, we'd be just doing star passing drills, passing around in lines. And he would just pull me out of practice. Hey, how was school today? I was good. He's like, all right, let's have a great day. Get back in there. And that was it. And uh, by him doing that, all it meant to me was that I knew that he cared about me and he cared what was going on. And but he never, he never tried to push me to tell him anything. He just genuinely wanted to make sure I was doing well and getting through the school day and everything was going okay. And he did that pretty much every day from the moment he got the email to the day the season ended. So, yeah, he's he was one of the best people for me. Just all he did was let me know that he cared about what I had going on and that he was there if I ever needed anything, but I didn't have to tell him anything. Mark, you brought up a good point that we, when we grew up, I remember my actually my my cousin Thomas Piatelli is in studio today, and he can actually relate to this. But when we grew up, Italian family and uh, big family, but we never talked about anything. No, it no. was like, all right, clean your room, right? Get up at seven o'clock. Dinner's at six, or else do the dishes, do your homework, and go to bed. Yeah. Right? How you doing, Jack? No one asked me how I was doing. No one wanted to talk. Yeah. So, and, and the other point you brought up was like, you're in a dark place. Everyone says when someone commits suicide, God, how can someone take their own life? Well, no one wants to talk about it. Correct. Right? So, so we don't what, see it coming. And, and you are in such a dark place. You don't know what that's like until you're in it. People say, oh yeah, yeah. he took us a life, but I've, I've been there sometime early in my life where I've had some situations where I never thought I'd get out of them. But uh, you got to talk about them, and you can't assume everyone's okay. And like, you can't show up at practice and just assume every. My situation, I've got four hundred plus players in my program. Yeah, you can't assume that every kid that's coming to practice, everything's fine at home, right? Mentally, they're they're okay, so on and so forth. If you were to go back in time, what would you change in terms of how you handle the whole situation? Well, I think my my negatives, my really bad mistakes, were more with Cindy's care. Which if I had done the right thing with getting her to a hospital sooner, I could have then been spending that time more with Quinton and more focused on that. I was a real stress bucket. Work has always got me any out of any challenges. Put your head down, go to work. You're making a living. You're paying bills. Now we're losing every cent we saved. We thought we'd lose the house. So you have those pressures. And... We should, number one, worry all the time about our kids. But if you don't take care of yourself, you can't help anyone else. 
And when I wasn't taking care of myself, I couldn't coach right. I was bringing my stuff to the gym. We always tell the kids, for these two hours, enjoy being here. Don't worry about your girlfriend, your class, the test you think you did, your mom and dad. We care about, boy, I was doing that wrong. So once I, I did a, my best thing I think I did when I finally realized what was going on is I tried to empower people that Quinton trusted to help me with that challenge. And I knew who those people were. And Quinton made a great point. You don't even have to say anything sometimes. Just he just he needed to know and I've said this to Quinton for years, know who the good people are in the room. Like just know who if you have a problem you can go talk to and so on. And I think he does that and did that at a young age. And our lacrosse experience with your club we were right in the middle of it, and my wife was being taken care of by a, a girl who was helping us out, a woman. And I always told people, I said, it's really going to be hard. It's this, that. No one ever believed me. And then I think we're in Philadelphia, and I get a call from the woman. We were yeah. playing at the XTX showcase in Philly. Yeah, so Quentin had come up from Maryland after playing down there. Yeah, after we were in Naptown, and sure. we went straight from Naptown to Philly. Yeah. So long week, and then while we were in Philly, I had gone with the the Andrews family from Maryland to Philly, and he was going to meet us in Philly. And while we were in Philly, we got a call that my mom was she was running. Yeah, she was trying to run away and having a tough. So he ended up. You drove all the way home back from Philly. You didn't even get to watch. Yeah, I did. Watch I left game. the games, but I yeah. knew those people. They were looking out for my son. And they didn't ask me any questions. Like when you brought Cindy over that day, no one asked me a question. They just were available. And by then, I knew those people. And they all offered to help. We'll get Quentin home. I didn't have to worry about Quentin at all. He was good. And he was where he should be. That was a safe place for him. So my biggest thing was we have a friend who we've known since he was a young man that's a college coach in our area that Quentin, he spent a lot of time with Quentin in the gym. And those were some tough years in that gym. And uh, he was was one of the angels on our path. And I think uh, Quentin's point is very good. I think I just learned how to empower other people because he did not want to. Our kids do not want to hear us tell our old stories, say what we did when we were kids. Do you know how much that coat cost you threw on the floor? I mean, we're just wasting our time. So, or how great of a basketball player you were, and they'd uh, say, "Ah, right, yeah, right, Dad." Well, that's the older we are, the better we were. Yeah, absolutely, coach. That's, absolutely. That's what podcasts are for, right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. But I, I just think empowering other people, and I had always been fortunate enough to be in situations where there were good people. So, I think I go on here and, and I talk a lot about coaching and being in the cross because this is a cross podcast. But and I don't share a ton of my personal life because I just don't want to. Right? I don't want to give everyone that, but I can tell you my first experience with dementia was my grandmother on my mom's side. She lives in she lived in a small cottage by herself on the coast of Maine, and it was Fourth of July. I think it was probably ten years ago, and I walked her back from the beach, and a bunch of her neighbors came out, and I don't know who they are, and she's like, they're they're like, oh, Leona, who's who's this? And she didn't know. Right. And uh, I was like, oh, I, I kind of cut it off because I saw it. And I was like, I'm, I'm Kyle. I'm her grandson and all this stuff. And I uh, brought her back to the house. And I knew I had to tell my mom what happened. And it was like this weird weight 
on my back for 20 minutes till the, everyone else got back. But I remember sitting there in the cottage. She was, she was fine. She, my grandmother was fine walking around. Didn't think anything of it. And then my parents, I had to bring my mom outside and be like, hey, this happened. And she's like, are you sure? And I was like, I am sure. Oh, your mom didn't know. I think that they had an idea, but okay. they weren't 100% sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of, I don't know this, but I think it was the thing that let them know the decline had gotten to that point that she forgot who I was. Well, we're all on that decline. Right. And I think the reality of dementia is that once we get to a certain age and we laugh about forgetting where we put our keys and so on, but Quentin and I watch Cindy at in her mid-40s yeah. start on this path, and it's more common than people think because, again, no one talks about it. But I think Quentin's way of turning it into a positive, and he studies a lot on nutrition about how that affects our brain. He does a lot of things with his speaking to, to young people about nutrition and physical activity and the, the positive impact it can have on your mental health. Mm-hmm. So I don't think people talk about how those things tie together. There's actually a doctor in New Hampshire that wrote a book, Survival of the Fit, and it's all about schools should be exercising kids as soon as they get up like they do in China. But Quentin does a really good job on nutrition, and we laughed last night with the kids, the little kids we had in basketball, they're giving girls are handing out sugar candies to each other, and we're like, no, that's... Don't do that. And it's to me, it's like you offering me a cigarette when I was a kid. Yeah. Certain foods. So you're going to, we're all going to go there. I'm going to have to get Jack back to his house and I'll be happy to do it. And I know he'll reciprocate because I've seen him do it. Yeah. Quentin, you're in a very dark place. You're in the kitchen. You have the knife. You're ready to take your life. Dad walks in, right? Yeah. Sees his situation. If dad hadn't walked in, do you think the outcome would have been different? Yeah, I don't think I'd be here able to share the story with you today. I was in so much pain. I was, I just wanted it to be, I wanted it to be done. And like I said, like I didn't want, I didn't realize how much it might affect other people and how a decision like that, at that age, I didn't realize how big of a decision Well, I got to say, is. it's great to have you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Great to have you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, like, so he walked in. He was supposed to still be at practice. He walked in 30 minutes earlier than he was supposed to be. And I, I fully knew what time he was supposed to be there. I, I was fully aware, and that's one of those things. I don't want to get into it too much, but it's like if you have faith, that's one of those things that makes you believe in certain stuff. And yeah, he walked in earlier than he was supposed to. And when I watched him break down into tears, because I always looked at my dad and, and my dad. Stoic. He's, he's stoic. Right. Yeah. yeah you look at him. He, he, he was always tough on me as a kid. and In a good way. In a good way, yeah. I didn't not. even know that. This is the first time hearing about it. <laughs> I was always I was up at seven o'clock. We didn't talk about anything. Very similar style growing up, but I always looked at him as this big, strong, tough figure. And when I watched him break down and how it affected him, that's when I knew how selfish of a decision it is, and how much. And you don't think of it when you're in that place, when your brain's in that place. You don't think of how much it can affect other people. But it, there are people, even if you don't know it, that care about you. And that was something that took me a long time to realize how much that decision could affect other people. But that was one of the biggest lessons from that was watching a big, strong, tough man break down. And I was like, oh, 
I can't. I can't do that. I can't do that to someone else. But the perception outside looking in, you're a big, strong, 15 year old, athletic, driving young man. So no one would. I never would have thought. Right. And I didn't find this out until your dad and I talked a few weeks ago. I never knew that you actually. I knew you had some difficult times, but I never knew you. You actually tried to take your own life. What steps did you take after that day? to get you out of this dark place. Right. And that that's the biggest thing that we talk about now and that I want to talk about now is how I live. Now it, it was it was getting in shape. It was my friends used to pick on me and I didn't like it, but they were right. I wasn't in shape. I I wasn't healthy. So first step it was getting in shape. It was learning. And the biggest thing about nutrition and foods is to to educate yourself on what you're putting in your body because it's it's really impossible now to eat 100% healthy with the way everything. There's a preservative and a chemical on everything. but Especially with Chick-fil-A around now. Exactly. Yeah. Fast food. But, but it is possible to eat better. And so I, I started really educating myself about what I was putting in my body. And then I had to change my mindset. I had to change the way I viewed the world. And one of the things that really helped me was I listened to a Steve Harvey speech. I, I love Steve Harvey. I think he's extremely smart, bright, and he was talking about how gratitude and depression can't live in the same space because you can't be grateful for everything you have and depressed at the same time. So I turned into, I just, I started being probably overly grateful. Like people now that are around us probably think, well, we're a little weird with it, but I just, I was started being grateful for everything I did have instead of worrying about the challenges that were going on. So my mom was sick, but it's like, yeah, but I have great friends. I, I'm in a great lacrosse program. I do have people around me that care about me, and I, I just had to change that mindset. And that's how I live now. Like, I'm grateful. When I wake up, I'm grateful just to be awake and be able to go at the day however I want to. And that gratitude mindset has been the biggest key for me to, to never feeling the way I used to feel again. But my question is, how did you get out of that dark mindset in terms of, you said, obviously, you but what 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 went off in your brain that said you, you had to start getting yourself in shape? You just tried to kill yourself, and like, was it a long process? I mean, like, did you you obviously went to get some help? Yeah. And okay, yeah, but, yeah. But, but I guess like what what steps did you take from that moment mm-hmm. that you tried to take your life? Like, what did you do the next day and the next day and the next day? I think that'd be great advice for anyone listening. Yeah. Well, we got in crisis mode a little bit. And, of course, we looked at it differently. So I, I tried, people said, I'll bring him to a counselor, right? So you want to tell him about your counselor experience? Well, the next day we called the doctor's office and we went to my primary care physician. And he, so when you go in and you share that with your primary care physician, they separate the kid from the adult, which is usually when you're under 18, you always go into the doctor's office together. There's always an adult in the room. When you're dealing with depression and the suicidal topic, they separate the kid from the adult so that the kid can feel comfortable telling the doctor everything he needed to. So my dad wasn't in the room. He was outside. So I told the doctor what was going on. And his reaction, he basically he gave two options of I can either go to a facility where there's kids dealing with similar challenges or they put me on Prozac, which is an antidepressant. And that didn't work for me. I just didn't like the way there's side effects to all those things. I didn't like the way it made me feel. So the next step was to try therapy. And I didn't like therapy because as you can tell with how I'm doing this, I really don't have an issue sharing with how I feel, how I feel with people I know. I didn't like sharing it with a stranger. So it wasn't for me. 
But I know I have friends that are in therapy and it's great because they don't like to share things with people that they do know. They like sharing it with a stranger. That's just not how I feel, felt. So that didn't work for me. So then it was converse, multiple conversations and my dad kind of became my therapist. It was like every day. It, it's funny like – when my mom used to, when I come came home from school, my mom used to say, how was your day at school? And it used to just be good, and you'd walk away. And when my mom got sick, I realized how much I missed that opportunity to tell her how my day was every single day. So when I would come home and my dad asked me, I, I, would, I started telling him a lot more than I ever did. I started opening up more, sharing more, and he became much more involved in my life, which was, it was very good for me at that time while I was still growing to where I am now. So that was kind of the right after the steps that we took and it ended up now we still have that same relationship and that's, I'm still growing and trying to figure it out. Yeah. One thing that happened with the doctor and I think to your question earlier about how did, how do coaches deal with these situations? But one thing that happened to the doctor, like I've learned since then, I would not have let him take Quentin in a room without me. So I've learned my rights by talking. Other people have been educating me, just like Quentin on nutrition. And he gave him an online test. Like, I, do you find yourself sleeping a lot on the couch a lot? I'm like, geez, I do that once in a while. I'm having a bad day once in a while, too, which when we were younger, it was like, suck it up, get out there. Now, that doesn't mean there wasn't real stuff going on. But for, for me, this doctor, we, we, we went to Florida. I drove my friend down every year and... Quentin's having a great time laughing, yucking him. I said, he's not depressed. He's going through help. He's, I mean, he's upset and depressed about it, but the answer isn't always drugs. And I think that's one of the most important things we're trying to talk about is when I got the last time I was coaching a high school team and I got the sheet with everybody, all the drugs the kids were on, I was in shock. I never even heard of half these drugs. And that's starting that conversation. Like, so if we don't start that conversation, the doctor separates me from Quentin, how am I going to know? And what I, what I want to do is that those, those, there are medicines, they help a bunch of people. And for some people they do work, but I want to give ways to prevent that. So when, when you face a hardship, you better know how to deal with it because of what I did wrong. And when kids go through something like I did at that age, they're more prepared to deal with it because they know maybe what I went through. And I think that that vulnerability and letting them know the wrong steps that I took, maybe they never have to feel the way that I felt. So that's avoiding the drugs and not avoiding it, but being preventative so that hopefully kids never have to get to that stage. Well, you don't want to get to the last resort without trying the other things, right? In any situation. And I think that's one of the things that when Quentin started really getting into nutrition and he felt better. He could feel the differences in how he felt and not putting certain things in his body. And if we started that at a younger age, when they get to you in high school, they're going to be better off. And you don't know what's going on in a kid's life. And yeah. Jack wanders the fields, checking on all his teams and even his coaches, they don't know. And, but that conversation has to be had. And even in the workplace now, the workplace, it's not just about kids because all our age group that grew up and is now struggling with mental health, how are they going to help their children? And we're all involved in this. The kids should be the priority. But we also have to learn how to take care of ourselves. We just do a horrible job at it. I think one of the things that a lot of kids that 
and I can speak to this myself, is you do a lot of emotions when you're younger. And if you're in a household that doesn't talk about emotions, it's it's very hard. And again, I'm going to break my wall and talk about a personal story. I actually got kicked out of middle school and public school because there was a incident where a teacher accused me of doing something I didn't do. And I verbally reacted, not physically, but verbally reacted strongly. Swore at a teacher in sixth grade, yelling at them. I just, I was angry and I didn't know where it came from. And I, I had to go to a, a, a private school for a year and a half. And I had to take a test to get back into eighth grade in my own hometown. And I think about that all the time when I talk to kids that I know I can feel something's not a hundred percent. And that's almost every kid. I, mm-hmm. I feel like I hate saying that. And I don't want to alarm everyone, every parent that's listening. Like you only know if you talk to them, if you don't, open up the conversation. I never did when I was a kid. I kept everything in here. Everything in here. If I didn't have two things, writing and lacrosse, I I tell people all the time, like, and I joke about it now, but it's, the people don't know that it's not a joke. If I didn't have those things, I would be, probably be in jail. Yeah, and I, I always wonder how other people, for me, my childhood experience and and Jack, I've never played lacrosse with Jack, but the rumor is he played a lot like I played basketball with a lot of vigor on the field. And you wonder, right, because of our childhood experiences, where does that come from? Where is that edginess coming from? And I never had the emotional atten- intelligence as a younger man, never mind kid, that you were talking about as a man. And people, I'll see people that knew me in college and go, and they'll say something. I go, that's that's 40 years ago, man. I'm not doing that anymore. But that's how... Get it all the time. That's yeah. how you get remembered, right? Yep. And It's hard. That's that's why uh, Quentin's emotional intelligence level is so far above. I mean, he's definitely got that from his mom. And I think that actually has helped him process things and new information and how to apply it to his life. And there, then to share it with other people, I think his emotional intelligence, the sooner we get there, the better we can share so I think that's one of the challenges, too. Yeah, my experience, I had a similar experience. Like you, Quentin, I've talked about it a little bit, but I was 17, and I was my parents sent my brother and I off to boarding school because my oldest brother, 11 years older, was the a coach and teacher at the Kent School. So we went there, and I went there when I was 13 years old. It was very, very challenging. Very, I was homesick for, for two years. But I, I lost those five years with my dad because I was away. I was 13, but actually, and then when I was 17, my, my junior year, I got a, my brother came into my room on a Saturday morning. My dad had a massive heart attack, died. So we had to jump in the car and drive three and a half hours, get to my house. The house is filled with people, people. I had no time to mourn my mother. It was all about my mother. It was all about bringing all these people in having a few beers, somewhat celebrating my father's life. So as a dad, I always wanted to be the dad that I really never had. And one of the things that I did as a parent was spend a lot of time with my kids, but communicate. You can never communicate enough with your kids because you don't know. They're not going to tell you they're struggling because they, they, 
they don't want to burden you, right? They don't want to burden you, but you have to keep those lines of communication. That's an excellent point. I think kids do, they do look out for their parents. I mean, Quinton never said anything about things. He was obviously hurting. I mean, I just looked at it. I don't mean to belittle this, but I, I think I looked at it. Yeah, we were both struggling. I didn't look at it. How does a 15-year-old react to struggling on that topic? And for me, from my childhood experience, I it was out there, thank God for sports. And I'm sure you felt the same way, coach, after. And, and then when do you get to grief? Do you ever get to grief? And I think that's talking about people's faith and so on, things like that. Where does that assistance come from? I thought it was interesting when you said about the emotions at a young age and you, so you like to write and you probably spent a lot of time and thought when you did that, when you wrote, Mm -hmm. you, you were by yourself and you were learning. So when you had that verbal altercation with the teacher, you probably thought about it, you learned from it and you grew from it. I think one of the biggest challenges for kids now is that they don't spend their time in thought, um, doing stuff like that, like writing or reading or simple stuff that you're thinking you're reflecting on your own actions and one of the reasons emotionally it seems like people and i was too were so challenged at that age is because now we can just go on a phone and scroll on social media and find absolutely anything we want to distract our mind from what's going on and by you writing and i i like to write too and i like to read and i spend a lot of time in thought and when i was at college i realized how little my peers did this it, it allows you to learn from the challenge and then you get better at it. So you hopefully don't have the same problem again, but now it seems like the same problems are coming over and over and over again. I think yeah. they're more prevalent with this generation and, and it is a big part of what you're talking about. The the joke online, the the memes online are, oh, I, I, I just read this yesterday. I just sat, I, re- recently I've been sitting on an airplane. It was just someone writing a post and people just kind of sit there and don't have headphones in and, and, and don't do anything. They just sit there with their thoughts. How do they do that? Yeah. How, how do they, to me, I'm like, I'm reading that and I'm like, I get what you're saying, but that shouldn't be weird. Yeah. yeah it really I, shouldn't be. It's being comfortable with yourself too right. a lot of times. And I mean, for me, I found we have a little chapel down the street from us in Rentham and I'm not an organized church person, grew up with the Catholic fear of God world and like many kids other than as a teenager on Saturday night sitting out back to figure out what we were doing later that night that was going to church now I've gone back to that being alone and thinking and learning how to do it and one thing coach we talked when you brought up earlier how did we cope with it one thing I did I did a lot of things wrong one thing I gotta find something good I did to say here so I started Cindy writing to Quinton. And I've always kept a journal. It's not always, it doesn't look good when you look back at it, but it's honest at that time, writing. And I had Cindy write a letter to Quinton, knowing she was going to be gone. And I had to help her through it a lot of times, but it was such a healthy exercise. I recommend to everybody to write their children a note every month and express where they are, whether you give it to them then or later. And I think Quentin can talk about, at the time, you don't know if it's a good idea, but I think Quentin can talk about the value in that, in that letter. Yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of my thing, so I don't want to talk too much about it, but it's it's something that I'm able to, to read, and I, f- I feel her, it's the only thing I have of her left. 
And yeah, it, it's it's good. It's special, a good idea. Special. It's special to me. Yeah, right. Before we go here, I want you guys to talk a little bit about your podcast, how you came up with the idea, and I know you've got a lot of traction, but obviously we want people to listen to your podcast. Right. right. So we have a podcast titled The Uncomfortable Silence. It's on Spotify, YouTube, Apple. It's everywhere. I post a lot of stuff on Instagram through my Instagram, Quentin Champagne. We have an Instagram. It's The Uncomfortable Silence. There's a link in the bio to find it everywhere. Like I, he's into, he has the perspective from a parent and he wants to help parents and he's coach kids and I've been the kid that's struggling. So we talk about our experiences with it and on, on the podcast, we bring on a lot of people who have had, like you said, you listened to the last one with one of my old teammates, Jordan, who had a really tough life story and he overcame it and now he's doing unbelievable things, helping other people. So we try to talk to a lot of people who have had stories just so everybody knows that there's stories like that everywhere, and we titled it The Uncomfortable Silence because a lot of people don't talk about it, and they live in that discomfort, and we want it to be a place that, no, let's talk about it, let's learn from each other, and let's grow from it. So yeah, it's been awesome, and we, we're trying to speak to as many teams, camps, schools as we can, so if there's people listening that are interested in that too, we'd love to come share our story. Yeah, we've had some great people. It's all of a sudden getting traction, and even... We're so grateful for being here because you guys have, you're involved with kids all the time. And we've got a Monday, we have a fifth grade teacher on and talk about the things they do to combat the COVID experience. And he's got a, his security guy is a fifth grader and he talks about that. And like, I, I don't enter that world anymore. So I found it fascinating how they are dealing with the mental health and Quentin's friend Jordan was great. And we're really looking forward to having a lot of diverse people in it. And I got to say one thing, Jack, before I before we end this, is that the value of coaches and where the angels are on your life, you go on this path and something's going to happen to all of us. There's going to be some challenge with our kids or ourselves. And we were so fortunate to be involved with Piatelli Lacrosse, um, from the coaches to the parents. And Quinton's good friends with a lot of those kids still. And I think a lot of them will remain friends down the line too so very very grateful for that and that's the value of sports it's not always perfect but again don't let the five percent ruin your day there's a lot of good stuff it's true all right we got to wrap it up guys could talk to you about this for a long time and as you can tell i have a lot of background with it yeah as a coach i know jack you do in your life and and being a coach and and a player too i'm sure that we can have you guys back and talk more about that as well but we want to thank you again for listening to Wayne Lacrosse Journals, Chasing the Gold Podcast. For Jack Piatelli, I'm Kyle Devitt. We'll see you next time.